This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. We're just over a week into the biggest global election year in history. And with election season comes an onslaught of ads, disinformation, and political propaganda intended to sway electors. But who or what is pushing out that content? In many cases, it's social media bots. Across social media sites, it's estimated that there are billions of bots, which are partially or fully automated social profiles intended to pass as human. We asked for your thoughts on bots. Here's what Cass in New Jersey told us. While I myself have not been scammed by a bot or a fake account, I can say that there have been times when I have read something and been like, is that real? Is this person real? And then come to find out, I look at their profile and I start to realize this person is not real. This is a completely fake person that's been made to to spread a message or a narrative. Cass, thanks for that message. So how are bots affecting our elections and how should social media companies regulate them? Every year, we put together a week of conversations suggested by you. This show is part of this year's Listener Picks series. You can find the rest of the series on our website, the1a.org. I'm Jen White. You're listening to The 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash on investing or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us from Austin, Texas, is Sam Woolley. He's the director of the Propaganda Research Lab at University of Texas at Austin and co-author of the book, Bots. Sam, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Also with us in studio is Katie Harbath. She's the former public policy director at Facebook. Now she's a global affairs officer for Duco Experts. That's a technology consulting company. She's also the author of the Substack newsletter, Anchor Change, which covers the intersection of democracy and technology. Katie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And Alex Popkin is with us. She's the vice president of trust and safety at Web Purify, which moderates content for companies like PBS, Allstate, and Microsoft. She's also the former head of trust and safety operations at Twitter, now called X. She joins us from San Francisco. Alex, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So Sam, let's just start with the most basic question. 
What are bots? <laughs> Great question.、Um, there's often a lot of confusion about this.、Uh, bots are ubiquitous on the internet. They make up over 50%, give or take, of all internet traffic.、Uh, they're simply automated software programs built to do tasks that a person would otherwise have to do online. But when we talk about social media bots,、um, and oftentimes we talk about chat bots, we're talking about bots that have a forward facing automated communication capacity. So on social media, social media bots are those that are built to communicate, comment on posts, like content, et cetera, et cetera.、Well, Katie, you've said calling this technology a bot is outdated. Why? Well, I think that there's, a, you know, it's kind of hard to think about. All the different ways that something could could exist. There's a bot that's kind of the old school way that we saw, especially around 2016 and stuff like that, where it's purely automated. Then there's the question of a lot of these are also have humans behind them and they're trying to pretend to be something they're not. There's also is it AI generated? So is it a human, but they've used an AI generated image behind it? So the definition can get really nuanced in terms of what these things look like. And folks that are trying to really sway the public narrative on these social media platforms, a lot of these companies like. Meta, Google, and others have gotten really good at detecting the automated bots that we used to see, and actor, bad actors、um, have gotten a lot more sophisticated in trying to think about how to sway these conversations and make it seem a lot more human. So, when we talk about a sort of standard social media bot, and then we talk about an influence campaign, how do those differ? So, I think they can be intertwined. But a bot would be a tool of an influence campaign. So it's not like the robots are all coming up with these influence campaigns on their own. They're not deciding the strategies, <laughs> what they want the narratives to be, what it is that they're trying to impact. That does have a human behind that. And then those folks are trying to figure out okay, what are the different levers we need to pull across different platforms in order to try to amplify that message, in order to try to get real humans to then also be sharing that. And that's where it can really move from like disinformation, which is intentionally sharing. Sharing、uh, a, a false content to somebody sharing it because they think it's true, but it's really not, and that's misinformation. We asked you about your experiences with bots. Here's what one of you told us Hi, this is Brian from Philadelphia.、Uh, regarding bots and trolls, I have been the victim of bot factories and troll farms, namely of the far left, for simply asking questions of politicians that I once passionately supported in good faith. Immense. Armies of bots and trolls have called me everything from a cannibal to a pedophile, have issued death threats to me simply for asking questions in good faith of politicians I once immensely respected and who I now have no respect for. Brian, thanks for that message. Alex, is there any way to trace who's in charge of these bots? Yeah, I mean, I think the challenge is that it can be pretty whack a mole. And, you know, so bad actors are constantly evolving their tactics to evade detection measures. You know, this is a really simplistic example used for illustrative purposes. But let's say you detect a coordinated attack where bots are spamming a platform with text that reads, Donald Trump won the 2020 election. You can easily spin up an automated rule that flags all accounts posting that message, but then the bad actors will adjust their tactics. They'll use the letter O in place of a zero in 2020 to evade detection. 
You know, I think additionally, um, you know, platforms are reluctant to introduce too much friction that will deter well-intentioned people from using their service or in asking for too much information to verify identity, you know, forms of ID, for example, or biometric checks that risk privacy considerations, even if these methods would prove effective. So there are all of these trade-offs. Um, but typically the way that platforms are detecting these bot accounts is, you know, via a combination of machine learning to train algorithms to detect bot activity, um, and then also, you know, humans to, you know, perform review or um, investigative analysis to try to identify clusters of accounts. Now, Sam, we heard Brian describe in his voicemail message um, what he thought were bots that, that seemed to be sharing content in support of certain politicians, but also attacking him. Look, the internet can be the worst. I'm not even... <laughs> It's it's the worst. And is it easy to discern between what is a social media pile on and what what are actually bots being directed to silence dissent or or to silence people who are asking provocative questions? Is there is there a way to tell the difference? As Katie pointed out before, you know, there's always a person or a group of people behind a bot. Um, and bots, you know, we tend to think of bots in a, on a in a binary way. We say this is a bot or this is a human. But uh, as as Kate, Katie rightfully pointed out, bots actually exist on kind of a spectrum. They they can humans can log on and say things on a bot driven account on an account that's normally automated. Um, and so it can be very very challenging to suss out whether or not it's actually a bot or it's a person. Um, and these days, uh, propaganda, the propagandists, the people that are pushing this content, they are very pragmatic. They'll use a group of people if they need to use a group of people that are coordinated. They'll use bots. It just very much depends upon what they're trying to achieve and how. And so, uh, you know, sometimes I think that there's a degree of care that we should we should practice when we're thinking about whether or not we call something a bot, because oftentimes it's actually a person. Hmm. And, and in terms of how these bots or influence campaigns are are used, is this becoming part of normal practice for politics a- across the political spectrum? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, so prior to being at UT Austin, I, I uh, managed a research team at the University of Oxford called the Computational Propaganda Research Team. Uh, during my time there, we cataloged the ways in which governments around the world were using tools, including bots and other automation and AI tools to influence public opinion. And at last count, we, we got up to 90 uh, state or country governments uh, using these kinds of tools for coordinated manipulation efforts. And here in the U.S.? Uh, yes, here in the U.S., oftentimes uh, political campaigns, um, candidates, and more often than not, the PR companies or consulting firms that are working for them. Uh, there's something, uh, the FEC uh, has something, unfortunately, called the subcontractor loophole. So if you're a, a subcontractor for the contractor that's hired to do digital comms, you don't have to be reported to the FEC the same way that a contractor does. So you can get away with doing a lot of this stuff on behalf of a particular campaign and not be found out. We'll take a quick pause here, but when we return, we take a closer look at what social media platforms are doing to stop bots. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's turn to social media. Alex, how, if at all, are social media platforms holding the people behind the bots accountable for spreading disinformation or hate speech or harassing other people on the Internet? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, many social media platforms are trying their best to effectively detect these accounts. And so, you know, as I mentioned previously, they're using machine learning to train algorithms to detect bots. Um, They are implementing account verification methods, you know, using phone numbers and email addresses so users can prove they're a human um, and that they are who they say they are. Um, they're also leveraging trust and safety teams. Um, you know, despite what may, some may say, uh, really humans are also needed to combat this problem. And then once they find bot accounts that violate their policies, they're blocking them. Um, and really, in order to do that, you need to find the network and the source because there can be, you know, one human controlling thousands of bot accounts um, on an on the internet. And, um, you know, in order to do that, you know, really platforms need policies that address things like artificial amplification or suppression and false and misleading information. Um, You know, and then also I think, you know, a positive uh, shift that we've seen within the industry is that platforms are signal sharing with each other. So, you know, if Meta sees a coordinated attack, they're sharing that information with, you know, Google, for example. And Katie, I, I can see you you nodding along <laughs> as uh, Alex, is, Alex is speaking there. But I keep getting this image in my head. I'm sorry if this is going to probably gross some people out. But have you ever seen... Um, a spider egg hatch and like oh, yeah. all these little spiders go. Brrr. It seems like there's this never ending flow of that, of these, of, because even if you catch one network and you're able to shut it down, there's another one right behind it. So are social media companies able to keep up with the proliferation of bots and, and these influence campaigns on their sites? They're certainly getting better, depending on the ones that are putting their resources into it. And one of the important things, you know, Alex was talking about finding that node, the center of the network. And one of the things you'll see platforms be really careful about is sometimes not just taking action off the bots they know right away and really taking that time and effort to dig into it and try to find. Because if you just cut off the top of the iceberg, let's say, they can then put a lot of those accounts dormant and then wait for the platform to kind to maybe not pay attention or wait a couple years and then spring them up again. So you really want to make sure that you're getting the whole thing. It's kind of like if you pull up weeds from your lawn, right? Like you want to get the root system because if you just get the top, it's just going to keep proliferating. Um, And so, but it is a cat and mouse game. There's never going to be a finish line on this. I think that is important for people to understand is that 
platforms are going to close loopholes. They're going to create policies. They're going to get better at finding it. These actors are going to get better at trying to evade detection. And you have a lot of newer platforms that are still building up their capabilities in this space. Hmm. Well, in 2016, researchers were already clued into the disproportionate effect bots could have on elections. An Indiana University study on Twitter bot activity, or X, from the 2016 primaries to former President Donald Trump's inauguration in January 2017 showed that just 6% of bot accounts on the site were responsible for spreading a third of all the misinformation on the network. Another study published by the National Bureau of Economic Research in 2018 estimates that Twitter bots may have helped boost the vote in favor of Trump by just over three percentage points. So since the 2016 election, what changes have social media companies put in place to, to try to stem the growth of bot accounts, specifically in the political realm? Sam? Uh, unfortunately, we saw a lot of, well, fortunately, we saw a lot of changes happen uh, subsequent to 2016 and around 2018 and, and there onwards. Uh, around 2020, um, with a variety of things happening, we saw sort of a, a beginning of, of, you know, some degradation of this system It's on some platforms. Twitter emerged as, as kind of, uh, in the opinion of a lot of the academics in the space, a, a best in class. It went from being having a lot of problems with bots to... Uh, to creating really clear policies and, and doing a lot with trust and safety to manage the system. However, you know, with changes in ownership and leadership at Twitter, uh, and then also with changes in the political climate in recent years, we've seen, to be very frank, um, you know, the degradation of a lot of the policies that were put in place to manage this problem. Alex, what kind of pressure are social media companies under to decrease the number of bots on their platforms? I mean, I think they're under tremendous pressure. Uh, you know, I think ultimately, you know, their their key customer is their user. And if the user does not trust the content that they're seeing or the accounts that they're interacting with on these sites, you know, it really puts these platforms' key metrics in jeopardy. Um, you know, I, I will say... Um, you know, ultimately, in order to do this effectively, you need a well-staffed trust and safety team. And so I think, you know, we should all be skeptical of companies that are, you know, conducting layoffs within that segment of the company as, you know, even though technology is leveraged to solve part of this problem, there are really people at every layer um, involved in, in mitigating this challenge. And Katie, give us a little better understanding of that human factor and how it plays into the detection and elimination of bots or, or these campaigns? Well, I think first and foremost is, you know, Alex was talking about how bad actors might change the like zero to an O or try to do, we see them use emojis, like a, let's say a teddy bear emoji that to a normal person they would see and they'd be like, oh, that's cute. But like to the people in that community, it means something else. And so that can be very hard for machines to pick up on those types of nuances right away. And you do need humans who are paying attention to these communities and what what they're saying to then help to train the machine learning algorithms to try to find and detect those types of things. And so there's also a lot of cultural and language nuances when we think about this at the scale of the entire world. There's also challenges with this technology when you particularly also talk about video and audio, of which is a huge part of a lot of the content that is putting being put out on the internet. These tools are much more effective at just you know text-based posts. Um, and so sometimes you need humans to also help look through those types of content. Well, as we said, there are humans working on both the detection 
side of of bots, but also on on the creation side. Now, Sam, last fall in a piece for Slate, you wrote about political influencers, and they're everyday people who are coding bots on their own and launching digital propaganda operations for a relatively low cost. How widespread is that kind of activity? It's becoming more and more widespread. And so uh, oftentimes these political influencers, you know, will forego using automation and simply use their own accounts to coordinate and push specific political content. Uh, They're often compensated by political campaigns or organizations hoping to push a particular idea uh, or, to be very frank, trolling campaign. Um, But they also do make great use of bots, uh, great as in large use of bots, uh, in order to manipulate public opinion as well. Um, There are various mechanisms that allow people that don't really understand how to code very effectively to still build bots. Um, so, you know, the classic one that's existed for a long time was if, if this, then that, which allowed people to build bots uh, without having to have knowledge of, of coding. Hmm. Well, we have to, of course, talk about artificial intelligence. Anytime we have a tech conversation, <laughs> that is part of it. And the line between artificial intelligence and social media are, are blurring. Industry leaders like Meta and X are rolling out their own AI-powered automated chatbots. Introducing Meta's AIs with Tom Brady as Brew, ready to throw you his deep knowledge of sports. Seriously? How could you not know that? Naomi Osaka as Tamika, proving it's cool to geek out. Time for a selfie. Chris Paul as Perry. He's preaching the gospel of golf. Drive for show, hunt for dope. Paris Hilton is Amber. She's taken a stylish bite out of crime. Not to brag, but I am a forensic expert. So, if you're looking to explore your interests, learn a new skill, settle a debate, or just have fun, start using Meta's AIs. And that was from Meta unveiling their new chatbot personas. And as you just heard, the company is using the likenesses of notable celebrities and sports stars for their chatbots. Sam, why are we seeing social media companies embrace user-facing bot technology? Well, as, as the other uh, people on the show have pointed out, you know, not all bots are bad. So there, is, there are many ways that bots are infrastructural to the Internet. Um, and on social media, you know, a variety of different companies use bots to automate the spread of their content in a way that is just, you know, uh, simple updates of, of, say, for instance, a news organization saying, hey, this is a new news story that just came out and doing that every several minutes as a new story comes out. Um, at the same time, there's a huge appetite globally uh, for artificial intelligence and for uh, generative AI and uh, what we call large language models. These are all things that everyone it seems to be very excited about in the technology sector uh, and the business sector. And so you see companies like Meta and Amazon embracing this. Part of the problem, however, is that AI uh, functionally can put bots on steroids. And so while these interesting uses of bots by Meta might be more benign, what happens when bad actors begin to use bots that actually leverage AI to have meaningful conversations with people that are actually much more manipulative than those clunky AI, uh, clunky automated bots of old that we've been talking about in the 2016 election, which to date have really run things. Well, and we should say artificial intelligence tools like deepfakes and image generation, generators are allowing bots to do things like make unique videos and share pictures on social media accounts as if they are real people. Katie, within the industry, it always seems like the technology moves more quickly than our 
ability to address it. But how how are companies talking about these these newest developments and how quickly they're moving? Yeah, and I think one of the things is we're having this conversation about AI that is very different than the social media conversation that we had throughout the early 2000s, like in the lead up to 2016, is how companies are leading with how they're trying to do this responsibly. You saw Sam Altman up on Capitol Hill, all these CEOs last year really kind of leaning into this. And so we know that, you know, government regulation is going to be slower than how these companies move. And so a lot of these companies are going to have to be the first line of defense of trying to think through some of these issues and how you deal with these new policy things, because I am excited by some of these new uses of AI. I think it's amazing. I think it'll be kind of fun and we need to have that liberty to try to try that out. But how do we make sure people know that they're talking to a bot? How do we educate people in trying to think about that? And so you are going to see a lot more from these companies of trying to think through that. And then I think it's really important, like folks like Sam and others in academia, civil society, also, and government contributing to that conversation about where we want these guardrails to be. Let's go to this message we got from Amy, who writes, I'm a moderator on a Facebook group. One of my duties is to review requests to join the group. As such, my primary job is to keep out the bots and fake profiles. To do this, I check the join date, past posts, number of friends, review and likes and photos. Do they have more than one different photo? Do they look like a real person? Well, still to come, more on how you can spot a bot. The experts will tell you what to look for when we return. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Now back to our discussion about social media bots and the threat they pose to our democracy. Johnny in Michigan writes, Back in the day, pre-bot, there was a sense of authenticity on social media platforms. But today, we don't know what is real and what is fake. What have we created? My question is, what do you think the future holds for social media platforms and the internet, especially with AI being a big part of these new bots? I want to hear from each of you on that, Katie. Yeah, I think one is that I think you're going to start, you already see a lot of companies really focusing actually on the behavior of people online versus the content. Because if you focus on the content, you run into First Amendment issues, and we're seeing a lot of, um, this. there's going to be a lot of cases in front of the Supreme Court right now on that. And so you're going to see a lot more factors of, are they say, are they are who they say they are? Are they trying to coordinate? Are they trying to spam and trying to define a lot of those things? I also think, though, too, that you're going to see a lot more of questions around Alex was talking about this. How do labels work? How do you provide more transparency for people around this type of information that is happening? I do think we have to remember, you know, we've been focusing a lot on the negative that is happening online. There's still a lot of positive 
that is happening. There are still a lot of ways for people to get news and information. The internet's been a way to bring rise to issues that people normally would not have had access to or being able to talk about. And so I, my mantra going into this year is to panic responsibly. And I think that we need to be careful about, because I'm also worried about just the overall narrative that we don't know if what we see is true or not and the impact that that alone can have, even if these nefarious acts aren't happening at the scale that we might think they are. Alex, what about for you? What do you think the future holds for social media platforms and the internet? I mean, I I really do think that we are in this sort of authenticity quandary. Um, you know, Europol, the European Law Enforcement Agency, predicts that 90% of online content will be AI generated by 2026. And that doesn't mean that all of this content will be bad or inaccurate or even coming from bot accounts per se, but it does raise the risks of content authenticity in general. And so, as Katie mentioned, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of platforms grapple with how they can provide additional transparency transparency and signals to their users around content authenticity and provenance. You know, is this information true? Who is it coming from? And these are really tough questions that they're asking themselves and grappling with. Um, And then, you know, I also just want to call out that Um, You know, I think AI developers, too, are thinking about what responsibility they play in this pipeline. So how can they, you know, restrict types of election-related queries for which their large language models can return responses? How can they better red team to ensure their models cannot be used to return false or harmful information that can be leveraged by bots? So, um, you know, I really think it's it's a pipeline responsibility and platforms are grappling with what to do. Users are grappling with how to increase their digital literacy and AI developers are are grappling as well. And Sam, what about for you, especially to Johnny's question, with AI being a part of these these new bots, what does the future look like for social media platforms and, and the internet? Sure. So these these words have been mentioned by by both Alex and Katie, but trust, authenticity, and transparency are going to become paramount. Um, you know, Katie rightfully points out that many AI companies and, and leaders in the AI space have brought some of the issues uh, up before Congress and uh, more widely. Um, however, they've got to put their money where their mouth is. And as Alex says, you know, that includes uh, making changes at the level of design, at the level of how they're building these tools and planning for the ways in which the tools will be misused, because they will be misused eventually, and trying to mitigate as many of those misuses as possible, including especially the illegal ones. Um, you know, I think we see a market right now that's controlled by a few very, very powerful, very big companies. And in order for new companies that are built with trust and authenticity and the safety of their users in mind to emerge, we're going to have to see some changes. And and we do see a lot of ongoing lawsuits in this regard. So um, I wonder, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, what's going to happen to the metas and to the uh, the alphabets of the world? Well, I want to get to this this trust question from a different direction. This comes from Richard in Orlando, who writes, social media companies don't want to solve the bot problem because they make money off the existence of the bots. It would be quite straightforward for them to make the account creation process verifiable like most other login controlled systems do. Banks do, Netflix, virtually any place you're going to spend money verifies your actual existence. But social media firms make money off the existence of these accounts. Alex, your reaction? I mean, I think that... um 
you know, it, it, it's it's challenging to say that platforms are not taking this seriously. But I do think that there is an incentive structure for companies where currently they are more focused on user growth versus platform health. And, you know, those decisions are dictated at the very top and not necessarily by the leaders of trust and safety teams who are uniquely aware of these challenges and positioned to tackle them. So, you know, this is really where I think, you know, regulation can come into play, you know, where there are eye-watering fines if platforms are not taking this problem seriously and where there is, you know, an accountability structure in place. Renee emails, last month I suspended my Facebook account until after the presidential election in November. I made this decision after I started to see more and more hateful political comments on totally non-political posts. I'm missing posts by friends and family, but I already feel less stressed and angry. I don't know if I will reactivate my account in November or if I will delete it completely. Time will tell. Now let's go back to our voicemail box. This is Stephanie calling from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For me, the only social media that I use on any kind of regular basis is Facebook. And I already see a lot of my friends falling for fake pages. There's even a fake page that's National Geographic or Richard Attenborough. Things that seem harmless at first, but they divert people away from the actual authentic official page. And when you go to the page to check it out, you realize that it's not authentic. It barely has any posts related to that person or that organization. And it is, again, to divert people away from the actual content. People like it. They comment on it, et cetera. And so I've alerted a few of my friends about that, about that problem. Stephanie, thanks for that message. I'll, Stephanie, point it to some things that, that helps distinguish bots from real accounts. But in some cases, telling the difference between a fake page and a real one, it, it isn't easy. Katie, how can you identify a bot or even just identify that what you're looking at is misinformation? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things, first and foremost, that folks can do. One is checking if you go to a page, click on the link, see what or see what website that you're going to, and really pay attention to the URL, because one of the things we saw in 2016 was people would make spoof accounts, and it would look like CNN, but it would be CNNN, three Ns, rather than two, to try to like use their logo to try to make their stuff look more um, real. Check if there's authors that are listed. Um, also, you know, go to Google News or other places to see if other folks are writing about that same topic. On some platforms, I wouldn't trust the blue check mark anymore, particularly on Twitter, because now you can pay for that. That still has validity in places like Facebook and, and Instagram and other platforms. But I really think that it is um, looking for those types of clues um, to be able to tell if it's real or not. Well, and Alex, how can users best prepare themselves for election season, which we are in, <laughs> and encountering bots and, and disinformation on their social media feeds? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it harkens back to, um, you know, Im- improving their digital lit- literacy. And, you know, I feel like a broken record here. But, you know, as Katie was saying, um, you know, I think users, you know, um, you know, coming up to elections should really take that extra time to investigate the accounts that are serving them information, you know, look at their organic presence, you know, oftentimes, bot accounts will look suspicious, they will have few followers or suspicious usernames and profile photos, or, you know, repeat repeated spammy posts saying the same thing about, you know, a particular candidate may be inflammatory. Um, You know, it's oftentimes in, you know, broken English if, you know, they're using that language. 
Um, you know, as Katie mentioned, they're linking to fishy websites. So, um, you know, just going that one step deeper can be really helpful. And then I also think that users should familiarize themselves with user reporting tools. So, you know, within popular social media apps, um, you can report problematic content within the app. And what this is, is it's a really important signal signal for trust and safety teams. So, you know, oftentimes it sends that content, you know, back in for review, whether that's machine review or human review. Sam, I, I feel like I'm remembering this from the last election. A lot of people talked about seeing friends and relatives getting caught up in mis- and disinformation. And that could be a really difficult conversation to have with someone with someone you love. Any any tips for people who are like, listen, I know this person I love is falling for these bots and they're spreading mis- and disinformation, but I don't know how to talk to them about it. Any any guidance? Sure. So uh, the Propaganda Research Lab at UT Austin exists within a broader center called the Center for Media Engagement. And the Center for Media Engagement has a bunch of different uh, tools, including one that I love that is how to talk with people who you disagree with politically. And it's specifically focused in on the online world. It's about how to talk to people who also are spreading uh, misinformation, unknowingly spreading things that are false or spreading things that are very politically loaded. The first thing that we we learned in our research there is that you've got to be respectful, and and that's you know very very difficult a lot of the time. You've got to listen, you've got to ask questions, and you've got to do this in good faith. Simply getting into an argument with someone, being uh, contentious, name calling, all of those sorts of things, those play into the hands of propagandists. They're trying to divide and conquer people. They're trying to make people more polarized. So take the time to actually speak about why the person believes the thing. And, and listen to them and give them your respect. Any last words from you, Katie, about starting that conversation with someone about mis- and disinformation? I 100% agree with Sam and everything that he said. And I find that asking a lot of questions and then also doing my own research on the types of things that they are seeing to try to not only ask questions, but then also say, well, you know, I saw this. Um, what do you think about that? And, and having, but I, I think first and foremost, just like Sam said, coming at it from a place of respect and trying to understand is so important. That's Katie Harbath. She's the Global Affairs Officer for Duco Experts, that's a technology consulting company. Also with us today, Sam Woolley. He's the Director of the Propaganda Research Lab at the University of Texas at Austin. He's also author of the book Bots. And Alex Popkin. She's the Vice President of Trust and Safety at WebPurify. It moderates content for companies like PBS, Allstate, and Microsoft. Alex, Katie, Sam, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. NPR Wine Club members have contributed over $1.5 million to helping create a more informed public. B21. Join the charge at nprwineclub.org slash podcast. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.